This episode of The Most Innovative Companies is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Welcome to the Most Innovative Companies podcast. I'm your host, Yasmin Gagne, joined by my producer, Josh Christensen. Hey, Josh. Hey, Yaz. So, summertime in New York City. Are you ready? Hell yeah. I'm so ready. I had my first ice cream this weekend. Ooh. Arnold Palmer's Wait, you are get... back in coffee shops. Where'd you get your ice cream from? Uh, so I live in a neighborhood called Fort Greene, and there's a restaurant down the street called Evelina. They have an ice cream stand. Ooh. Last summer, they, like, knew me pretty well, which I really didn't like. That's rad. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's really well, cool. Well, it's not like I got any discounts. You know what I mean? They were just shop. like, oh, you again at 3 p.m. <laughs> okay, maybe not as rad. <laughs> <laughs> what is your big summer activity? My big summer activity. Oh, it's oh, so I'm such a like a, a basic white guy. It's just hiking. <laughs> it's just hiking. That's just a love good being one, outside. though. I thought you were gonna say like craft <laughs> beer or something. I mean, n- I'm more of an Aperol spritz guy. Nice, nice. I drink them all year round, not just the drink of the summer. The drink. Are of you a Manhattanite? I live in yeah. I live in Inwood. Actually, just moved from Harlem to Inwood, so I'm I'm moving further and further away from the center of the island. <laughs> But still in Manhattan. Like remember the summer of Aperol Spritz? Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember it fondly. I was drinking Aperol Spritz before it was cool. Just want to right. say that. Of course. But anyway, nobody, wants, <laughs> nobody wants to hear about this. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's move on to some housekeeping. Do we have anything we got to mention yeah. before we get going? We got a couple things. One, I uh, talked about this last week, but to remind everyone that the uh, Fast Company Queer 50 list will be announced on June 13th. So stay tuned to fastcompany.com for that. And also, it's never too early to start planning for the Fast Company Annual Innovation Festival. I know we're already deep in planning uh, here uh, in the mm-hmm. newsroom. Our, our co-worker, Casey Afini, I feel like is already losing sleep over programming this fantastic event but it is september 18th through the 21st in nyc and there is a super early rate for tickets available until june 23rd so listeners should take advantage of that and we'll be revealing more about what to expect at this year's innovation festival as we get closer on the show i gotta say it's really fun and i don't just say this because i work for vast company like i would probably attend this just in here. your own time. Yeah, me too. I mean, there's like great, we had like Jamie Lee Curtis was there last year and had a fantastic panel. It was awesome. Okay, Jamie Lee Curtis, by the way, who I interviewed for the magazine, like I stand her. She just endorsed Marianne Williamson for president. Well, you know, everyone has blind spots. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm still, I, I'm still it, all about Jamie Lee Curtis, that that notwithstanding. I immediately messaged you and Clint, who we had on the show last week. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, oh, my God. Yeah, The if you will listen to last week's episode, if not go back, fringe candidates are making their way onto podcast, including Marianne Williamson, and secured her that coveted Jamie Lee Curtis endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's all I have for housekeeping. All right. Sounds good. Well, later on in today's episode, I'll be talking about the latest biotech research in menopause with Fast Company senior writer Ainsley Harris. But first, what's happening with Apple these days? Here to tell us more is Fast Company senior writer Mark Sullivan. Hey, Mark. Hello there. (laughs) So, look, I think we all saw some memes about the Apple Vision Pro yesterday. But, you know, beyond the fact that they look like ski goggles... 
Can you tell me how it works and what this new device kind of tells us about the company? Yeah, good question. Well, this is a pretty major platform shift for Apple. Uh, of course, they gave us the iPhone, which pretty much reinvented smartphones. And this could potentially, or at least they believe that this could be something as big as that. And basically what you saw that looked like ski goggles is they want us to put our computers on our faces now. And, you know, it goes over your eyes and it has a couple of very advanced lenses in it. And, uh, through those lenses, it can show digital content uh, and mix it with real content that you see through the go the goggles. Well, they called it spatial computing. What does that even mean? Right? Yeah. Like, I'm just trying yeah. to picture, like, say I have the dorky goggles on. Like, what does spatial computing look like? It means 3D, basically. Uh, so where you look at your computer screen and see sort of 2D graphics and things like that. These things are going to make you able to see 3D things sort of floating through the world in, in front of you. And that's kind of what this mixed reality concept means. And it's really expensive, right? Like, how much does it retail for? It's $3,500. Why? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could tell you More why. More than my monthly rent. <laughs> That's like as much as LASIK. That I've been looking at the LASIK recently. <laughs> Josh, that's like the nerdiest price comparison. <laughs> no, I think there's nerdier. I can find more. <laughs> so, Mark, why is it so expensive? There's a lot of these VR goggles already on the market. You know, Meta has made a few of them, and the Meta Quest you you may have heard of, and the experience is just it's it's a little bit grainy and a little bit janky you know and i think what apple did is they made a much more expensive headset i believe what they did was just said you know what we're gonna go all out and kind of splurge on the component parts no matter how much they cost so that we can deliver people something that really makes vr goggles look great i replaced my iphone last year and, you know, an iPhone is like $1,000. And I was like, remember when that seemed so ludicrous to everyone? Yeah, oh, I yeah. certainly remember. Oh, that. I remember. <laughs> I miss the days. <laughs> just, I know, I'm like, we can just go I'll back my to my razor. <laughs> I don't want this. I was just going to say, just go back to our razor. Or we could all just go with burners on like Cricket Mobile or something like that if we want to avoid the cost. I do. But it. does Cricket Mobile make AR, VR uh, headsets? <laughs> I think Cricket Mobile headsets are just ski goggles. <laughs> it's, it's just called, it's not AR or VR, it's just R. It's yeah. Just reality. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, I mean, I guess I'm curious, you know, obviously beyond your true heads, do you think people will actually want something that bulky over their eyes for a long period of time? Like, who is this aimed for? You know, it's a really it's polished, uh, impressive experience. But, you know, that's a demo. When you get into real life, you know, after you've <laughs> shelled out your $3,500 for these things, are you really going to want to sit at your desk for, you know, six hours a day wearing these things? And it, it's non-social. It's antisocial. You know, imagine <laughs> approaching someone with, with a headset like that on their head. It just seems like kind of a non-starter. So I really have my doubts. I may be revealing myself to be a psychopath, but I feel like if somebody walked, like if Josh walked up near me with those goggles, I just want to slap him. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I, I saw these and all I saw was hate. I mean, obviously, I'm sure there's people that like really are, are into this sort of stuff. But like all I saw on Twitter yesterday and this morning was just people like dunking on this, this product. Yeah, looking 100%. like ski goggles and like who's actually going to wear them. I'm not going to lie. I kind of really want them. I, really? I'm kind of really into it. I feel like I would use them for a couple months and then they would just sit on my shelf and yeah, never be used again. It didn't like, I, maybe, maybe more correct me if I, I, I'm wrong with this, but like with the kind of VR, AR stuff, like is there like a goal for it to be more integrated into people's everyday lives? Like, isn't that what we're striving towards a little bit? When Apple Watch came out, it was a very basic device and it took a few years, but it got good and people really started to buy them. What we'll probably have in a few years, Josh, is uh, something that looks more like the glasses you and I are wearing, except you'll have all this functionality inside mm. the glasses. Mm. And, you know, you won't be quite so removed from the real world. It's kind of unfair to, like, you know, totally rip on what we've just seen without really looking at what the vision for the product path is. And who could forget what a great product Google Glass was? You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All those upskirt photos people took with them. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's a very good point. Unintended consequences. You know, it's uh, become kind of more socially acceptable to have your smartphone, you know, within your reach. And I think what a lot of people think is there's also going to be a cultural shift around computers that you wear on your face, that it's going to become more and more accepted. (laughs) And, you know, especially with Apple in the game, Uh, whether or not that's really going to happen, we'll see. Are there any, just off the bat with these glasses, are there any killer apps that you saw that, you know, you think people will just immediately want to use with those goggles? Uh, Based on what I heard from people who actually tried them on, the ability for them to shoot 3D images with the goggles and then uh, like say you know your daughter's in front of you in in the room you know you can use the goggles to shoot this cool 3d video or still and then you can you know come back a few weeks later and watch it in that same format so it looks like your daughter's really standing in the room in front of you you know that could really turn people on but there are other things too we never saw anything yesterday about the integration of apple pay with these goggles so in some future format, you know, you may be able to... like, knocking your goggles to the payment thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know how you have to, like, tap your phone? Imagine, like, bending your head to do it. You just see people, it's just, you have to just, like, dab to do it. It's just yeah, like, exactly. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Mark. You were talking about it, sort of how we didn't see any integration of Apple Pay. Um, yeah. But what are the things that could make it indispensable for people? I mean, you could be in a shop and just look at, rest your eyes on a product and then, you know, just buy them, buy the thing with a look or look up at a menu board, you know, and rest your eyes on a menu item and buy it with, uh, you know, a flick of your eyes or a, or a gesture with your hand. That's awesome. Is that the world you both want to live in? Yes. <laughs> I, maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. I mean, maybe that's a little extreme, but that's kind of cool. Just being like that and being able to point it and immediately fought. It's really kind of cool to me. I don't know why I like that so much, but <laughs> I'm, I'm into it. As someone who has a lot of trouble controlling her eyes, I... <laughs> I think this this invention is not for me. <laughs> All stuff just keeps arriving. Be like, I need to stop looking at things. 
You mean you don't want to have some big tech company recording everything your eyeballs rest on and storing the information? Mark, They're going to be very so disappointed. <laughs> uh, as Josh mentioned, felt like everyone was kind of dunking on this thing on Twitter yesterday. What do you think was the reaction of developers when you spoke to them? There was a lot of ooing and aahing going on in Cupertino yesterday when they demoed this product. Developers are tech heads, you know, they're very into new types of hardware. They're very comfortable with this idea of integrating digital content into our real world experiences. So Apple is hoping that developers are going to be the ones that come up with the killer app for these. It's basically like we'll see. Is that fair to say? Like, is that the vibe you're getting right now? Is that how you feel? Yeah, uh, definitely. I haven't worn the things myself yet, but I really would go back to sort of the cultural thing. There's a real question about how close that people want their technology to get to them. An iPhone is external. Mm -hmm. Then we have a watch on our wrist. Now we have something on our face. Is there some line that people don't want to cross? And I think aside from all the technical stuff, we're going to get an answer to that when we see this, you know, product come out and there'll be new versions of it over the years. That makes a lot of sense. And honestly, if Elon Musk has his way, we'll have a chip in our brain soon. So that's the extreme end of the scale. And, you know, you can think of this Apple device as somewhere somewhere in the middle heading toward that. Well, that's bleak. But thank you, Mark. Um, (laughs) We're going to take a quick break now followed by my interview with Ainsley Harris, and we'll be back in a few. This episode of Most Innovative Companies is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Hey, Ainsley, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, yeah, it's great to be here. We're going to talk about an article you wrote, and before we even talk about that, We did want to make a note to our listeners that when we talk about women, we're referring to women as people with ovaries. Ovaries in a vagina, if you want to get technical about it. Right. You know, I uh, no matter how many times I've heard the word, I still can't really say it out loud. So, <laughs> Well, I got to say it out loud in lots of internal Fast Company meetings for this story. So um, it was <laughs> very exciting. Sure hell. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to talk about aging in women and sort of there's a duality at play in your article, which is that in a lot of ad campaigns, there's kind of this idea of like, you should be proud of being a menopausal woman. Like you should be proud that you're aging. You should be proud that you're basically telling people like you're still a person. On the other end of the spectrum, there's a bunch of efforts and companies that are looking to kind of quote unquote fix aging or stop menopause altogether. Tell me about how you kind of thought about those two. I would say the first part was what we really were aware of at the outset when we started reporting this story. Uh, As you mentioned, you know, there's been this whole wave of companies focused on menopause. There are lots of different sort of flavors of that. There are folks um, kind of, I would say, more in the kind of like wellness space. There are vitamins and gummies and and many things that are sort of like doctor adjacent, I guess. But there are also like telehealth companies and, and people focused on getting women medication that may have been unavailable to them before or that their traditional providers weren't comfortable prescribing. There's sort of a whole history to that. But a lot of this has to do, I think, with the fact that there's been this 
you know, that women who are going through menopause today look a lot different than the women who went through menopause in decades prior, you know, many of them still working and in the workforce and their symptoms are in some cases affecting their work. They also, you know, are expected to live a lot longer than their mothers were expected to live. You know, and, and society has changed, you know, I think really positive way. It's interesting to see celebrities like Naomi Watts, you know, leading a company that's menopause focused, you know, you didn't really have aging women in Hollywood 20 years ago. So, so, you know, you have this sort of tide of a generation kind of on the rise going through these symptoms and sort of questioning the status quo around how they are both treated medically, but also how society views them. From the article, and I got to say, like, I'm a woman by the article's definition, but I really actually didn't totally know what menopause involved. And now I'm not looking forward to it. Um, (laughs) But it seems like it's a collection of symptoms that can vary really widely. So first of all, I'd love to kind of hear about your definition of what those symptoms are, hear a little bit about how different populations might be affected, and then also just talk to me about the universe of products that you saw at this conference. Menopause symptoms do vary widely. And, you know, your neighbor could be going through different symptoms than you. And and some of that is just genetic. But there also seem to be some environmental factors and even cultural factors that affect menopause. And, you know, talking to women who have gone through menopause, I feel like I now, though I'm not quite there yet myself, understand why it's very uncomfortable and of course always arise exactly at the time when you'd rather it not arrive and a lot of the symptoms i think what's you know i think important to understand there do seem to be some ties to environmental factors stress factors trauma factors where you often see then that black women and hispanic women are suffering from the worst symptoms at least that's what surveys are sort of suggesting here in the us you know for women who have live in a place where there are stress factors or other things, and then to have to deal with these symptoms on top of that can be really debilitating. So, you know, overall, it's a real positive that we're seeing more options available for treatment. You know, some of these options are more scientifically based than others. A lot of these options can be really expensive, uh, depending on your symptoms and and what your budget is. Um, You could end up spending quite a lot. I think there's some real questions then about equity. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I know some of the products you mentioned in your piece were like vitamin gummies. There's also like face mists designed for menopausal women. And I'm like, isn't that just a face mist? A, a cooling face mist designed right. to, yes, <laughs> lower your body temperature in, I don't know, some sort of magical way. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things you also mentioned is hormone therapy. Like I can remember when I was a kid, at least was kind of seen as this like weird fringy thing that might cause cancer. I'm curious, like, how that's made a comeback and what that looks like now. Yeah, there's been a huge revisiting of the guidance around hormone therapy and um, hormones. And a lot of it ties back to this study that was funded with money from the National Institutes of Health that is now being discredited, I think many would say, um, if Mm -hmm. anything, revisited for sure. It now seems that um, giving women estrogen or other sort of hormone combinations is much safer than than we thought it was, at least Mm -hmm. particularly in terms of breast cancer risk. And that was the huge sort of trigger that many women flushed their pills down the toilet when this study came out. A lot of people who are thinking about hormones should understand that they don't necessarily treat all symptoms. Like they're not going to help necessarily with brain fog. What are some of the kind of specific solutions that they offer a solution for? Yeah, I believe I believe the one that is the 
is is uh, hot flashes that right. and n- night sweats and and that sort of thing. I think those are among the ones that they are most likely to help you with. Um, but yeah, there's a whole, huge list of symptoms associated with menopause, and they do not treat all of those. And and while they do seem to be providing wonderful help for a lot of women now that more people are adopting them again, they are sort of these in many ways just like birth control, sort of old-fashioned technologies and right. these very sort of crude tools that we're using to um, to treat. You know, if you think about every woman's hormone levels are different, mm-hmm. um, but we don't really take that into account, right? Um, you're just sort of given the standard dosage or you're given sort of the standard thing. As we've learned more about women's bodies, um, you know, what does that lead us to in terms of solutions that might actually be more tailored. And and that's where we're seeing sort of this whole new host of of companies and startups come along that um, are trying to say, hey, you know, if we really understand the inner mechanisms of women's biology in a deeper way, what can we do with that information to make their lives better? Yeah, you know, actually bringing up birth control is a really useful analogy because I think many of us know that birth control is hell to navigate yeah. and sometimes hell to experience depending on the one you're on. But but I want to talk a little bit about Oviva. Tell me about the science behind ending menopause. Yeah, so this anti-malarian hormone, um, it's a part of what happens uh, in the ovaries that sort of controls how eggs mature and are released. The idea would be that uh, if you can kind of better control that process, which actually starts in the female body in the womb when before you're born, and then you have this incredible sort of acceleration as you're approaching menopause and then at menopause. And then that, you know, is tied to this huge kind of cliff moment in hormones, which is what menopause symptoms tie back to. And so what Oliva and other people are sort of interested in doing, how do you essentially turn that cliff moment into a more gradual slope? By doing that, you would essentially turn women's reproductive aging into a pathway that looks a little bit more like men's. Men's reproductive aging is a sort of more gradual slope. I think that there's this weird current in a lot of the marketing which is telling women they're still relevant. And it's like, when did we become irrelevant? Like, what does that even mean? And the other thing I noticed is like, now there's like Super Bowl ads about it. I'm curious, when you thought the tone started to shift, how you see the tone shifting again? Like, what does marketing for all these startups look like? Yeah, I mean, I think essentially what happened was that uh, the beauty industry realized that older women have a lot of money and they, they some of them do anyway, and it'd be nice to, to capture some of that money. So, you know, I think there was this shift where there was sort of the anti-aging moment in marketing and pro-aging. We're pro- yeah, pro- you know, there have been many sort of changes in language, but I think this move toward, you know, people realizing that the aging market is a large one and there are lots of needs that you can cater to. And then, you know, what's happening now is I think there are many more sort of, yeah, medical solutions. We saw this at the Super Bowl. There was for the first time a menopause-focused Super Bowl ad from a company called Estellas. They had been running that ad for a little while. They felt that the Super Bowl would be a really great way to sort of open up the conversation. And, that, and that's what they're trying to do is, is open up the conversation to sort of a broader audience of women. I'm interested to hear how you think the space is going to evolve, say, in the next 10 years. 
you know, the menopause market doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists in this broader sort of wellness, medicine, beauty space where I think there are some real shifts in sort of expectations happening right now around manipulating your body, essentially. And like, what is the sort of baseline expectation that society sort of expects of you? And so in some ways, it is really disappointing to sort of see that this sort of expectation of work, essentially, that you're putting into your body is sort of on the rise at the same time that we're seeing this growing acceptance of sort of menopause as a life stage that women undergo. That it has been, I think, hard to see. And it's definitely something I'm thinking about as I think about like entering my 40s later this year, you know, how to navigate that. And, you know, I don't think that we're at the same place we were several decades ago when Susan Sontag wrote her wonderful essay, you know, the second you're kind of, you know, over the hill, like society just erases you. So I turned 30 a couple months ago and realized that I could no longer be a sugar baby if I wanted to. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. That was my fallback career. My deepest condolences. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, I guess you'll just have to embrace, I don't know, the 30s and Tupperware and all the things that go with it. <laughs> <laughs> Back pain and Tupperware. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was great. Thank you, Ainsley, for being on the show. And uh, early happy birthday, I guess. Happy 40th. <laughs> Thank you. I, I still have another six months. but um... Listeners, Ainsley just burst into tears. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just, I'm planning to party for, you know, at least six months. So <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> All right, we are back with Mark and it's time to wrap up the show with a segment we're calling Keeping Tabs. This is where each of us shares a story, trend, or company we're following right now. So Mark, since you're our guest, we're going to start with you. What are you keeping tabs on? UFOs. UFOs are real. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about cultural oh, changes. Can't leave it hanging there. <laughs> oh my God. So yes. I don't know if you guys remember, but there was a story uh, maybe like a year ago in the New York Times about how this footage was released by the Air Force of unidentified flying objects, like flying around air car carriers and, and things. And, you know, there were some uh, congressional investigations following that. But now the same people who authored that story have found a whistleblower, uh, an ex-Defense Department guy, saying that the U.S. has already found uh, alien crafts, some of them which are in pieces and some of them which are, are complete. Mark, is this I, true? I swear to God, it's like it it was the story was in a thing called the debrief. And I didn't really take it very seriously until I found out who the authors of the story was. But a lot of people are talking about this story. And it's this UFO situation is getting weirder and weirder. I do feel like I do remember when that story came out a few years ago about the like the the, the you know, declassified report of UFOs from Air Force footage. And I feel like it was met with like the most like humdrum response. Like I think it had like there was a few <laughs> things that went on and and it was just like we're just. We're just cool with this. We're just moving on with our lives. So I guess we all had more important things to worry about. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I feel like now. It's like, is there UFOs? And I feel like I should be yeah, more. Same. I'm like, oh, perennial question. <laughs> I should be like, I'm more worried about healthcare. <laughs> yeah. So Josh, 
Josh, I can't imagine you have something weirder here. What are you keeping? No, nothing weirder. Just something that's more depressing for the podcast industry as the whole. More depressing than than Robert F. Kennedy going on breaking points. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy (laughs) Jr. Rather, because that would be weirder. (laughs) And getting endorsed by Jack Dorsey. Yeah, that's real wild. I don't need to go back into that, but I do want to uh, mourn the loss of of Gimlet Media, Spotify. Uh, This is following up on an October cut in staff force across Gimlet Media and Parcast, two podcasting companies, if you're not familiar. Um, Two podcasting companies that started, you know, a number of years ago, Gimlet in 2014. Gimlet especially really changed the face of the podcast industry and was acquired in 2019 by Spotify. And they really did so much to put the podcasting industry on the map. Yeah, I mean, I am curious. Do you think that them kind of laying off employees was because of like a mistaken strategy? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, is this? Just, I mean, they want fewer shows. Like, where they said their what, what, their stated reasoning is to you know they're pivoting more towards always on content with you know creator driven stuff, which basically means like the weekly, daily shows that are driven by yeah. big names, essentially. But I mean, they're sp- it's not like they're mm-hmm. saving money on that sort of stuff. They're paying Joe Rogan like a hundred million to some hundred. Totally. Uh, I'm you know I could be getting this number wrong, but it's a lot of money. <laughs> for Joe Rogan mm-hmm. to make something that I think is detrimental to society personally. Whereas, you know, Gimlet made stuff like Crime Town. I feel like Spotify is doing a disservice to the podcasting industry by making huge bets on people like Joe Rogan and not on the storytelling driven content that got this podcast market to where it was in the first place. Got it. Uh, so I was trying to come up with something more lighthearted for this week. I accidentally came up with three things, but it, one of them is less lighthearted. I figured I wanted to see how you responded to each of these okay, things. Okay, so this is like a lightning round of keeping tabs? Yeah, this is a lightning <laughs> round. Have you heard of Flacco, the owl in Central Park that no. everyone loves? Oh, he's like a really like sick-looking macho male oh, actually, owl. Actually, no, I know what you're like, talking about now kind yeah. of exotic anyway he's he's kind of back like more photos of him have come out and i'm just i'm glad my guy's doing well <laughs> that's, i thought so you were this one. was gonna be the dark one you're gonna be like well he's dead <laughs> no no oh, that's yeah. coming at the end <laughs> number two kim cattrall is returning to sex in the city about this <laughs> no yeah i didn't think i didn't think that one would hit with either of you but i'm kind of excited um and number three which is <laughs> the oh, kind no. of dark one is there is a documentary that i can't in good faith recommend because I don't think it was that well made, but it's about, it's called The Strange Case of Natalia Grace, who was a Ukrainian orphan adopted by an American family. And we don't know if she is six, 12 what? or 32. <laughs> what? Yes, I'm telling you, she, and, and like, she terrorized this family that was in the news. But then I watched the documentary. It seems like maybe the mom from the family kind of terrorized her. And I thought that it would be easy to figure out, like, how old someone is. I thought humans were like trees. You know, you could, like, cut off, count the rings. <laughs> but, like, this documentary is nuts. I injured myself running on Sunday. And then just I was, like, on the couch in a bad mood and watched the whole thing. And it's all I can talk or think about with anyone. I, I'm not going to say I'm not going to watch this. But I also, <laughs> like you, cannot recommend this to any of our listeners. Exactly. <laughs> so that's a documentary that I don't recommend. 
but uh, that is very, very bingeable. All right. Well, I guess we'll end it there. Um, that's it for most innovative companies. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Mark, for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Happy to be on. Our show is produced by Avery Miles, mix and sound designed by Nicholas Torres, and our executive producer is Josh Christensen. Remember again to subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll see you next week. 